an Audi original. In case you haven't noticed already, this is a complicated story. I think she was taking money from all sides and she was serving many masters. We've already heard a lot about Belinda Walter, an attorney who ostensibly represented the smaller local tobacco manufacturers in South Africa and how she became a paid informant for their arch rivals, British American Tobacco. I could see the insecurity. I could see the paranoia. I could see the suspicion. We've heard about how her relationship with BAT was seemingly facilitated by the spooks at the South African State Security Agency, who also used Belinda as an informant, supposedly to help sniff out evidence of illegal activity. Were you an agent? <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm not going to lie about that. Yes, I was. We've heard how she came to turn against BAT by becoming a whistleblower, helping her romantic partner and chief investigator, Johan van Lochrenberg, in his probe into BAT. I'm one of the characters that you can't avoid if you want to tell the story. In 2014, Johan was a taxman investigating BAT's operations. In conjunction with the UK authorities, he was looking for evidence of serious crimes. BAT vehemently deny any wrongdoing. Malcolm Rees, a journalist for the South African Sunday Times, who we last heard from in episode two, was preparing a story all about BAT's spy network. It could be a major scoop, a story with international implications. It's almost like I found myself stumbled onto like ground zero of like a national disaster. And a lot's been written about it. But actually, like nobody's ever bothered to ask me. With Belinda's help, Johan and Malcolm were ready to take BAT on. Seems simple enough, right? There are seemingly goodies and baddies. A crew of protagonists all working towards the same goal. Three crusading knights on an apparent quest to slay a dragon. But this is a real story, not a myth. And real stories are messy. And everyone has a different version of the truth. It is incredibly contested. There's just so much effort and resource and interest in constructing the story. And that means that as soon as you step into the space or step near it, you become an actor. And this story in particular is about to get really, really messy. You can't predict how uh, intimate romantic uh, relationships may end, and it does make you vulnerable. It does uh, put power into the hands of the other person that can be used in uh, uh, horrible ways. You're listening to Smokescreen. I'm Victoria Hollingsworth from the Bureau of Investigative Journalism. This is the story of how British American Tobacco, one of the world's largest companies, came to be involved in industrial espionage, enlisting a network of spies and informants with the effect of helping them to secure the lucrative South African tobacco markets. BAT say that they did all of this with the aim of combating the trade of illicit cigarettes and assisting South African law enforcement. It's an explanation that was scrutinising intently. 
In today's episode, we're going to find out how Belinda turned against the three men who had tried to help her blow the whistle on BAT's spy network. And how she then disappeared, leaving behind a trail of destruction. This is episode four, Allegations. It's February 2014. We've been here before in episode two. It's summertime in Johannesburg. Malcolm Rees is recovering from a hangover, sitting in the lobby of an unremarkable hotel in a dingy area of town. Malcolm is here to meet Belinda. He got a call from Adriano Mazzotti, the owner of a small tobacco manufacturer called Carnilinks, who Belinda represented as an attorney. Mazzotti told Malcolm to come quick. Belinda is spilling the beans. Like recounting a really crazy story. (laughs) Belinda's telling Malcolm all about her secret dual role as an informant for the state and BAT. That she was an agent working for the intelligence structures, that she'd also been working for the British American Tobacco, that she'd been tasked with infiltrating the opposition to British American Tobacco, and she'd been paid in this kind of surreptitious way by British American Tobacco, and that there was some sort of cooperation between British American Tobacco and these intelligence structures and the government and the police. It's a lot of crazy stuff to hear in in 45 minutes. Malcolm recorded the conversation with Belinda's knowledge, although she denies that she gave him permission. Malcolm has given us this recording. It's not the best quality, as you might expect for a meeting in a hotel bar, but you can make out what Belinda's saying. Here she is telling Malcolm all about the way she was being paid and the secret recording she made of her BAT handler. So they give me a card. He tells me, and I've got voice recordings, just two weeks ago, I made him talk into the microphone. Can we prove it? I've got the cards and I've got the conversation, yeah. Rob, listen to the conversation. It's over 30 minutes long. We listened to this conversation back in episode two, but there was one crucial detail I didn't tell you. This is another one of those moments where there are many layers that we need to peel back. Belinda didn't just tell Malcolm and Mazzotti about her work for BAT. She also revealed another astounding secret relationship, the one with Johan van Lochrenberg, the chief investigator at the Revenue Service investigating the tobacco industry. In all of this, I met Johan van Lochrenberg, obviously. He started sending me WhatsApps one evening. Yeah, very intense in the beginning. She claimed that Johan had been spying on and controlling her. She had just been playing his game. He told me that he'd intercepted all of my mails, that they had intercepted orders on me, that they'd been doing it for two years, more than two years on everybody. So I realised some time ago that it's all a game. And I've been playing his game. That silence you can hear? It's stunned silence. Malcolm isn't sure what to make of all this. 
And then the other men at the table start giggling like schoolboys. So in this relationship that you have with Jan, hmm? what? <laughs> I don't even know <laughs> Hi, are you okay? We're calling Gru, by the way. Are you surviving this? <laughs> <laughs> Belinda's claims might seem incredible to Malcolm, but she says she can back it up with the evidence. She's got the receipts. WhatsApp messages which she claims show Johan manipulating and controlling her. I've got WhatsApp with Johan trying to manipulate me to ditch VAT so that he can nail VAT and telling me what to say to them pushing them into a corner. Here's Belinda showing Malcolm the texts. She shows them her nickname for Johan when they're arguing. You can hear Mazzotti's smoky laugh in the background. Oh, wait, I call him fucknut when I'm cross, and he hates it. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) So what did Malcolm make of all this? In my mind, it was like, look, the very fact that this relationship exists is newsworthy. I mean, like, it's it's a complicated relationship when you've got the guy who's running this sort of elite team of investigators looking at tobacco, and here's a woman who represents all of these guys um, in a relationship with him. You know, and in that meeting, honestly, like, she showed me her phone from Johan, this guy like messaging her, clearly like in distress. And to me, even that was unbelievable because I didn't expect that this relationship thing was truth. You know, like you take everything in this in the space with like 18 spoons of salt. That bag of salt is going to come in handy because Belinda didn't just show Malcolm WhatsApps to evidence her claims. She also showed him Johan's watch It has an engraving on the back, a name and a date. Belinda claimed that this particular watch was evidence of something which seemed sinister. She said she understood the watch had been given to Johan by a notorious apartheid-era assassin and tobacco gangster. A former apartheid spy and um, self-confessed murderer, actually who was also in the tobacco industry. It was, Belinda claimed, evidence that Johan had been receiving gifts from such a person. So how does Johan explain all this? I mean, it's just completely, you know, it's, it's, you take something that is so, which is the watch, and you just, you just latch on complete nonsense, which is completely devoid of the truth. In fact, that watch represents a particular relationship of an old friend of mine from school years who had committed suicide. And that watch was commemorative of our friendship and the day he died. I should point out here that we have no reason not to believe Johan about this. We haven't seen any evidence to back up Belinda's claim about where that watch allegedly came from. It seems that Belinda might have mixed together true and false information. That would make her an unreliable narrator, which is great for a story, but bad for any investigators hoping to rely 100% on Belinda's testimony. 
every one of her allegations, including those against BAT, need to be scrutinised and corroborated with evidence before we can accept them. We certainly can't take Belinda's word for granted. What makes this investigation even harder is how frequently she appeared to switch sides. Just listen to these text messages that Belinda sent Johan on February the 2nd, 2014, the day after her meeting with Malcolm, where she had accused Johan of controlling her, taking a gift from a gangster and being a heavy drinker. Her words are read by an actor. I love you with all my heart. I feel so disgusted and disappointed in myself that not only did I betray you, but the types of things I said to those scumbags, I don't understand how you can even look at me. You should hate me. I'm committed to you, just hectically ashamed of what I did. I need to get through all the difficulties so that I can have this all behind me. It, it was so far already and now I've made things so much worse. And there was more later that same evening. Making my bed. I want to sleep so that all these emotions of extreme guilt, remorse, regret and sadness don't consume me. I still cannot fathom what possessed me to do such a horrible or horrible thing to the one person I would rather die than hurt. Belinda's feelings of remorse for trying to trash Johan seemingly wouldn't last long. Their relationship went on and off for several months. And then, according to Johan... On the 27th of uh, May, she attempted to extort me by asking me to pay her money, reminding me that she had kept uh, records of all our text exchanges and emails, basically saying that she'll use this if I don't pay her. Johan says that this is the moment that everything changed between him and Belinda. He says he broke things off entirely, Belinda says that she ended things. In any event, from that moment on, Belinda's allegations against Johan would grow and grow. There's just uh, a viciousness that I think people don't realise. They don't realise that it, it can completely destroy the reputation of a human being if a partner who's just angry... Um, and, and, and calls him a pathological liar or an alcoholic. Every single enemy that person may have at that point in time will leap onto that and use it for their own nefarious ends. And it's, it just opens a door that cannot ever be closed again. It's taken more than six years for Johan to clear his name because Belinda's allegations against him would spiral out of control. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. It's July 2014, two months after Johan van Lockenberg broke up with Belinda. And Belinda's being interviewed by the South African Revenue Service, Johan's employers, about a complaint she made against him. Johan has had access to all of my phones. 
I'm sure you're aware of that. He what? had his staff hack into my BlackBerry cloud, so, I mean, he's had all of it. I've never hidden it. It's at your disposal. The quality isn't great. Everyone's a bit muffled. But fortunately for us, Belinda's complaint was written down. Now, before I tell you what was written down, there's one very important fact you need to bear in mind. Belinda withdrew this complaint in 2017 and agreed to pay Johan's legal costs. So you need to be duly sceptical of what Belinda says here. Her words are read by an actor. She refers to Johan by his initials, JVL. One of the most difficult things I'm still struggling to understand is that JVL, at all times in our relationship, told me that he knew of my historical role. Due to his extensive and all-encompassing interceptions of my communications, but still pursued me in a sick, sinister and covert manner. The complaint ran to more than 40 pages. The allegations were personal and pretty vicious. I don't think anybody can recall what the original claims against me were, because she was never able to prove it and they were never tested. She likened me to a paedophile, in a sense, in the way in which she said I infiltrated her. But the claim that was most harmful to Johan was that he had illegally intercepted texts, emails and phone calls from Belinda and other players in the South African tobacco scene. Here's Belinda's complaint again. During the early stages of our relationship, JVL showed me the interceptions live on his computer, as well as historical data from interceptions and how the analysis software worked. Over the course of 2014, this claim was picked up by the South African media and Belinda took the opportunity to voice her allegations in public. He told me a lot of detail about his own capabilities, the COVID units, uh, the type of interception they were doing, the surveillance. So it includes Skype conversations, WhatsApp, BBM, SMS, voice. Um, It can look at you through your computer's camera. This is an interview Belinda gave for a TV programme that aired in February 2015. She was speaking to a reporter at South Africa's premier current affairs TV programme, Carte Blanche. You'll notice the audio sounds a little tinny. That's because this is, as far as we know, the last surviving copy of that broadcast. Since Belinda first started making claims against him, Johan's been on a mission to clear his name. When he fought back... This programme was removed from all digital and broadcast platforms. You're listening to a copy that Johan kept for his records and that he's given to us. Belinda also revealed in her submissions that Johan had told her the unit was used to target perceived enemies. Who they were looking at, which politicians, how SARS was doing an audit of a particular political party and that they were going to swing an election if they had to. Belinda's allegations were amplified across the media and built on. New, false claims from other players were repeatedly aired, the story spinning out of control. I mean, it was just a complete free-for-all. It was a classic case of blood in the water and, um, uh, uh, you know, the sharks were circling and all the sharks just jumped into the fray. By 2015, Johan was being accused of managing an entire rogue unit at the Revenue Service. It was even claimed that he'd bugged powerful politicians and their allies. 
that he had abused his position as a senior executive at the Revenue Service, and the authorities took the allegations seriously, launching a slew of official inquiries. The fog of accusations completely consumed Johan. There was so much smoke that many believed there must be a fire. And so, in February 2015, Johan resigned from his role at the Revenue Service. And hundreds of other people lost or left their jobs, including Johan's bosses. Even though the central allegations weren't actually true. It's now widely accepted that the rogue unit story was a fiction. One in which Belinda's claims kept cropping up again and again. As time has passed, Johan has, by and large, been vindicated. Former SARS official Johan van Lochrenberg has welcomed a court decision to set aside a report into the so-called SARS rogue unit. That report was used to accuse a number of officials of spying on the president and running a brothel. You know, since then, it's turned out to be bogus. Van Lochrenberg joins us now via Skype. Good evening. Thank you very much for your time. In fact, what Johan's unit was doing quite legally, was chasing tax dodgers, and they were good at it. It's taken years for that truth to come to light, much too late for Johan and Project Honey Badger. In and amongst all of the claims and counterclaims, the inquiries and the media noise, Johan's investigation into BAT was completely derailed. The whole affair has had a profound effect on him. It changed my life forever. It's like being falsely accused of sexual harassment or rape or murder. You can be found not guilty by the highest of courts in the world. Uh, There will always be those who will remember it and will uh, recall it and use it to hurt you. Do I regret um, uh, allowing Miss Walter into my life? Absolutely. Do I regret trusting her? No, I don't. Um, That is how I believe ordinary people go into um, ordinary uh, romantic relationships um, with trust, which I paid a dear price for, by the way. But I accept that. I live with that. Um, I will live with that for the rest of my life. But it's not going to define me. I was Johan before, during, and since. I remain Johan. These days, Johan is an author, and in many ways, he's happier. He doesn't work such long hours. He's no longer consumed by his job. But Project Honey Badger will always be, in his view, the one that got away. It's a disgrace. I've long given up that uh, they'll be held to account. They won't. The evidence, in my view, is completely indisputable. Completely. In response, BAT say that the serious fraud office in the UK concluded there was insufficient evidence to bring any prosecutions. They deny any wrongdoing. So it seems that Johan's investigation was completely derailed. But what about Malcolm Rees, the journalist for the South African Sunday Times? What happened to his investigation? We'll be catching up with him after the break. When we last heard from Malcolm Rees, the journalist for the South African Sunday Times, it was February 2014. 
a year before Johan resigned. Malcolm left his meeting with Belinda, feeling like he had two big stories on his hands, one about Johan and the other about BAT. I suppose I would have left thinking I've got a story here. Um, Let's try and get Belinda into the office. Let's get it on paper. But for whatever reason, she then made an about turn. And then she launched an attack on me. You know, we've got the emails to my employer. She basically says, I didn't want you to record that. Everything I said was bullshit and I want it all back. You can't use it. Shortly after Malcolm's meeting with Belinda, a bombshell landed in his inbox. Dear Malcolm, you will recall that on Saturday I asked twice that you not record the meeting and then you recorded the meeting and I had no option. As explained, the statements made regarding various persons during the interview were false and defamatory. Belinda claimed that she'd spoken to Malcolm under duress, telling him to disregard everything. Much of what was said was derived from the usual industry gossip. Belinda demanded that the recordings be destroyed, but Malcolm and his editors at the Sunday Times weren't going to be pushed around. They didn't hand over the recording. At which point... Belinda started to make allegations against Malcolm. There were multiple allegations, right? The main one that somehow got traction was that I'd been offered bribes. The evidence for these claims against Malcolm is pretty thin. Belinda emailed Malcolm's editor at the Sunday Times in February 2014, claiming that in return for good coverage, a local tobacco manufacturer had offered Malcolm financial benefit in the form of cash, holidays and cocaine on multiple occasions. I mean, to me, it was like ridiculous, obviously. Like the the claims were made for a very clear reason at a very clear time. And they were just like in this space, you just... Rumours are a weapon, you know. I basically thought nothing of it. Okay, here's this woman who's all over the place, making all over the place allegations against me. We we do whatever due process at the Sunday Times. There's no evidence. It's simply nonsense, which is the factual reality of it. Whatever, done. You know what I mean? But it wasn't done. Far from it. Just as with Johan, Belinda's claims against Malcolm would take on a life of their own. It's like a fucking Orwellian double-think kind of mindfuck that um, that she that <laughs> this woman had some kind of extraordinary hold over me um, because whatever you know, I'd been taking bribes. It's a really bizarre piece of journalism. Um, And um, you see now how this, like, little rumour starts to gain momentum. Just as with Johan, where Belinda went, others were quick to follow. Here's Yusuf Kaji, the tobacco boss who you may remember from episode one had a serious beef with Malcolm about his reporting. What happened to Malcolm Reese? Where's the poor guy? I don't even know anymore. He again wrote articles about me and then I... I engaged him, I said, Malcolm, why do you write articles without finding out the facts? And when I started talking to him, I found out that his job was to make sure we're not a success. So he was writing articles, they were paying for his cocaine uh, addiction, they were paying for women for him in Mauritius, sending him on fancy holidays. And the poor guy in the end, what happened? Belinda then exposed him and out he went. 
Whether Kaji was aware or not at the time, there is no evidence for any of these allegations whatsoever. By this point, Malcolm had decided to take a break from journalism. He said he needed to recharge his batteries after spending so long in the murky world of South African tobacco. But when he tried to get back into the newspaper business, the rumours would haunt him when applying for jobs. When Malcolm googled his name, Belinda's allegations against him were there for all to see. That little allegation, the way that that, that history, my involvement in that history was reported on, um, became almost like a fictional truth. As an investigations journalist, any journalist for that matter, you essentially rely on your integrity, and a rumour is enough, especially when it's such a popular one, to kind of keep you out of the game. The media in South Africa is a small world. Everyone knows everyone. So it doesn't take long for rumours about you to travel. It's hard not to feel sorry for Malcolm in all of this. And that's certainly how one senior South African journalist I spoke to feels. She asked us not to use her name. This is a really contested space, and she's concerned about the potential consequences of speaking up. There's constant accusations. There's constantly people telling you, oh, are you being paid off to do this? And I mean, I saw some some incredible journalists who'd done some incredible work um, writing pieces on this issue just disappear. And it, it was a, a giant shame to me because they were exposing what was, you know, essentially the truth. Are you talking about Malcolm Rees? Yes, I am, yeah. So Malcolm has been helping us on this story, and I think mm. it's interesting to hear you talk about him, how tragic it is that he was one of the casualties, then he really shouldn't have been. No, absolutely. You know, and he's, he's a great journalist. He was one of our best financial journalists. And the fact that he's no longer writing and uncovering corruption in this country is a, is a great loss. Mm. Belinda, of course, might have a different take on events. It's been hard to get her side of the story, Because there's one final twist in this tale. By 2015, Belinda was running out of friends fast. Seemingly the only person left able to help her in her mission to expose BAT's alleged wrongdoing was Adriano Mazzotti, Belinda's former tobacco client who invited Malcolm to that fateful meeting in February 2014. As we heard in episode two, Mazzotti was concerned about the fact that Belinda was secretly working for his rivals at BAT. Here he is speaking to BBC Panorama. I was horrified. I was shocked. I mean, that was a serious shock for a company based in London that's that's worth trillions of pounds to be that interested in what we're doing on a daily basis, to actually somehow recruit our attorney on record and somehow manage to to get them to spy on us. It's like, it's, it's like out of a movie. It's like out of a, a novel. So he reached out to the authorities in the UK to see if they might be interested in taking a look at Belinda's allegations. We went to London and we met with the serious fraud office. Belinda came along as the star witness. A draft affidavit in her name was handed over to the authorities, as well as annexes full of what seemed to be supporting evidence. But as the meeting grew closer, Belinda started to get cold feet. At the last minute, she said, no, I'm not coming with you, I'm afraid to come with you. She just suddenly stopped cooperating with us. 
Belinda refused to sign the witness statement and she refused to go to the meeting. So really when we sat with them, they were, they seemed irritated that our star witness wasn't with us. We heard a little bit back, but it just kind of fizzled out. It's not surprising. An affidavit is supposed to be a legal testimony made under oath. But an unsigned affidavit is legally worthless. It would never stand up in court. But it's still an important document. The annexes are full of documents corroborating the fact that Belinda had been a paid informant for BAT. And the unsigned affidavit, as far as we know, seems to be the last word Belinda would ever have on her involvement in this story. In that document, it says that Belinda was always looking for an exit strategy. After her trip to London with Mazzotti, she got one. Belinda got out of the tobacco game for good. She closed down her lawyer's practice, she packed her bags and left South Africa. Having occupied the centre stage for so long, Belinda made an abrupt exit. In doing so, she left a tangled web of allegations and unanswered questions. There are just so many loose threads to tie up. And the only person who can answer them is Belinda. We need to try and track her down, to pick apart this tangled knot of truth and lies. That's coming up next time on Smokescreen. Smokescreen is a podcast from the Bureau of Investigative Journalism for Audi, produced by Novel. It was produced and written by Tom Wright. It was researched and investigated by me, Victoria Hollingsworth, Matthew Chapman and Malcolm Rees. Our executive producers were Max O'Brien, Myrian Jones, Rachel Oldroyd, David Medell, Owen Bennett-Jones and James Ball. Our fact-checkers were Alice Milliken and Frankie Goodway. It was mixed and edited by Alex Portfelix. If you've been enjoying Smokescreen, please don't forget to like, comment and share this podcast. Apparently it helps other people hear about it. (laughs) 